let's, uh, let's get through this. This is, I think, probably the, the easiest comparison um, to make is between the, the post. You're going to have to scooch over and share for, for now. I'll have to make a copy because I only got one left and I actually have to read through it. Unless you've got a family with two in their hands. Okay, all right. Um, so this is the book we've been uh, reading through. It's by P. Andrew Sandlin called The Post-Millennial Primer. And uh, Sandlin is post-millennial, which in a nutshell means that uh, he thinks, uh, and, and I would agree with this, and I think most of us actually agree with this, that uh, Christ, when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he began to rule. And his kingdom continues to permeate the earth as leaven leavens a whole lump. And that things in time, whether they're up or down or whatever, for, for moments of rebellion and people's wickedness, etc. But eventually things will get better and better and better until the lion lays with the wolf. Until people who live like a hundred are considered accursed because they've only lived that long. So uh, lifespans will increase. Things will become more paradisic, not perfect. Um, but people comply more and more with what the gospel and the uh, law of God tells them to do. And so you'll have nations that will beat their swords into plowshares, you know, and, and instead of at war, they'll be productive. And this is the view of a post-millennialism. What you're going to see today is amillennialism, and it's the chapter, chapter 3, actually. I have chapter 2 on there. It's actually chapter 3, and it's called The Anomaly of Amillennialism. Because Sandlin says, you know, they get some things right, amillennialist thinkers. And, and, and frankly, our Reformed tradition is more amillennial than anything else. Okay, that's maybe changed with some in more recent uh, decades. But uh, for the most part, I think the more uh, official, if we can say it's an official stand, would be amillennialism, which you're going to see today. All right? So I just kind of described to you what a post-millennialist would think. And what do you need, Bob? I, th I thought I saw you bring the bag halfway up here at one point with somebody in mind. That you are, are losing like in the present tense or it's already been lost? All right. All right. Anybody see some egg? egg uh, oh. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, that, that could have been Paul. So I'm going to just read through this, and I'll comment in between um, and, and make some points. If you've got a question of what's being said here or what's not being said, feel free to raise your hand. We have gone through two different views pr prior to this, which are kind of popular views uh, in, in today, according to today's radio, TV, preachers, etc. Um, we're not going to touch on those so much. So the best way to summarize the amillennial view is to think it is that it thinks that the Old Testament promises of a glorious future pertain only to the church or the deceased saints now in heaven and to the eternal state but not in any way to a uh, but not to any sort of earthly paradise. So what I was just talking about, Sandlin, who says things will get better in time, right? And post-millennialists believe uh, we'll live longer, there'll be healings, there'll be less to no war and all that. That's all earthly, according to um, 
Let me put it this way. That's all earthly and heavenly, according to a post-millennialist. Things get better, and, and God's rule continues to permeate. Um, the amillennialist doesn't think it pertains to the earth. It's really, they, they still think there's some dreaded things that the Bible talks about. We think that's still going to continue on until Jesus returns, and, and then it's over. Okay, so... They contend that the Old second paragraph, they contend that the Old Testament kingdom of God did have a localized form at one point, i.e., Jerusalem, the temple, the priests and the sacrifices, etc. It was in a sense an earthly kingdom, but the new covenant's blessed kingdom is not, nor will it be, an earthly and physical kingdom, but a heavenly and invisible one. You see that in pages uh, 30 and 31, where uh, Sandlin breaks that down. Here's some distinguishing views of uh, amillennialism. Number one, amillennialism means no millennium. At least no, when, when they say no millennium, no glorious earthly paradise period. A time of godly peace and prosperity, as Sandlin puts it on page 25. You see, even premillennialists that believe Jesus comes back and then he reigns for this long period of time or a thousand years literally, whichever, they decide to believe there. They think things will get better in the earth because Jesus came back and he started to rule. Post-millennialists think things are getting better and they will continue to get better and there's a million, maybe a million years or whatever, tens of thousands of years before he returns, but things will be better on the earth. Amillennialists will say, no, it's not about the earth. It's about Christians now that have come to Christ and their, their lives changed it's about those who have gone to be with the Lord already, the blessed paradise that they experience, and then the eternal state when, we're, when there is no more sin and no more pain and no more, and, and that's not at all to be earthly, okay? Number two, Revelation 20 must refer to something happening while Jesus is ruling and the devil is bound and while believers and non-believers are living together, But they would say it's invisible. It's an invisible reality. It's a heavenly reality when these things that Revelation's ta talking about. It's talking about spiritual and invisible things. Not about actual physical things as well. Not about the earth as well. And that's why they would say there's really no earthly millennium period. Number three, they contend that Scripture's predictive passages which speak of widespread evil and apostasy do not allow for a godly peace and glorious period of prosperity on earth before Jesus' second coming. And then it's over. So there's no long period of glorious peace on earth then either because it's all over and there is no more existing earth. For amillennialists rightly believe that the New Testament helps us to rightly understand the Old Testament writers, including the use of figures of speech and symbolism, etc. They do not hyper-literalize the Old Testament texts, which is what we would say is a problem with the first two views we, we, we looked at, is they've hyper-literalized things that the Scripture writers never meant to be so literal. And, and the New Testament writers would say, no, it's not literal at all. It's beyond literal. It's bigger and better um, than what the prophet had said um, in the sense of limiting it to mere sentences and, and, and uh, 
literalistic interpretation. Sorry. However, uh, there are clearly Old Testament passages which foretell of a future golden age. And both premillennialists okay, and postmillennialists agree that such a time exists for the earth and its inhabitants. Although they very much disagree, the postmillennialists and the premillennialists, on how Jesus brings it to pass. Premillennialist says he's got to be here. Nothing happening until Jesus comes back. Then, and that's when things start to happen and get better. Postmillennialist said, no, it's going on right now, and it's getting better and better. And even though we get into these dips and valleys at times because of rebellion, he will deal with that rebellion by his iron scepter from the right hand of the Father, and things will carry on. Amillennialists, on the other hand, disagree that such a golden age exists for the earth and its inhabitants at all. They think Jesus fulfills those future golden age promises differently Hence, in the church, for the deceased saints, now in heaven, and at the time of eternity. Any questions yet on that? Because we'll look at a couple of passages that are brought up, and, uh, and how, you know, how do you answer it from an amillennialist point of view, and how would a postmillennialist answer it? Okay, let's look at Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. Um, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. Okay? In this passage, we won't, you know, hit everything, and there might be verses that you question. Go ahead, Lit. No, I, I, she asked, are we, do amillennialists not believe they would see any blessings uh, because of Jesus' reign until he comes back? No, I think they, they would say those blessings, though, are limited and, and internal to the church and uh, that it's not necessarily going to vastly improve anything in earth in the, in the long run. I'm not saying that you're not, let me put it this way, uh, and if anyone's got a better uh, understanding, by all means, chime in. I wouldn't say that they wouldn't say that God does not bless how you raise your children, make decisions, and how your hard work pays off, but 
They don't, yes, they would say the earth in the, in the end does not get good as we would expect that these things would bring about that change. They'd say there's too many um, pessimistic type passages that don't allow us to believe that there could be a gradual improvement. Um, whereas post-millennialists say, no, look at things are better. Yeah, man is wicked and can be wicked and go up and down, but I mean, you don't have to leave your house to go to the bathroom anymore. To me, that's a huge hit, okay? Uh, but all these technological things we have to take as gifts from Christ. And if we don't see that as gifts from Christ, we're shortchanging him and what he's been accomplishing. Civilization, um, other than the fact that you get, you get times where people bomb the snot out of other people and do these wicked things, civilization has been a huge, has had a huge boon of technological advancements and... Um, and uh, there has been peace on earth at different times through history like never before. Um, not, not to the degree we wait, we wait for, but it's, it's something we're supposed to work for. Um, so the premillennialist, if you go way back again, he, he says basically, Jesus comes back, that's when you'll start really seeing these things happen, right? And I don't think even a premillennialist would say you don't experience the blessings, but it ain't, ain't really going to, things are going to actually go bad until he comes back, and then things will start to improve. Post-millennialists go, no, he's doing it now. We just have a, a short vision. We need to have a long vision of what this is going to look like. But I'm a millennialist, no, you know, they ain't going to necessarily ever experience it here, here, but you'll experience as you are a Christian, as you walk with him, you'll see the benefits of, of his blessings, but in the end, Things are going to trail off. It's not going to be like uh, a golden age upon the earth. Upon the earth. Um, I, I want to correctly uh, represent what, what they think, and I think that is the correct way of doing it. Any other thoughts or comments on that yet? I'll keep reading because we're looking at this passage, for instance. Here, of course, we have mentioned the stump of Jesse, verse 1. That's symbolic. Uh, that's metaphoric or whatever, stump of Jesse, right? Judging the poor righteously and deciding with equity for the meek of the earth, according to verse 4. It says he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, verse 4. This, this stump of Jesse is judging appropriately, right? He, and we, we know him to be the descendant of Jesse and David, etc., the Lord Jesus Christ. We might question or argue with our Christian brothers and sisters, where is he doing this? Where is he seated when he's doing this? And uh, I would suggest, as Sandlin, he's seated at the right hand of the Father where he ascended in the clouds of heaven. The Son of Man came in the clouds to the glory uh, to the Father. Next paragraph. Certainly an amillennialist might say this happens at the second coming, and it is when Jesus executes his justice at the final judgment of the wicked and the righteous, that it is Jesus putting things upright. Okay, he's settling accounts. That's what this is talking about. So things on earth didn't get necessarily any better, but he came back, Everybody, he's meeting out justice, okay? And though he speaks of the poor and the meek and striking the earth, it, it all has to do with the end of the world and the beginning then of the eternal state, all right? All, all views believe Jesus comes back, okay? Eh. Sometimes we disagree about 
when and what happens after he comes back. But all, all views agree that he comes back, a second coming. There is a, fi- there's a resurrection of the dead. Again, there's some disagreement on what that looks like. Resurrection of the dead, the final judgment, and you've got a lake of fire, and you've got paradise. So, amillennialists agree with that too. They just say, up until then, don't expect a lot of change, you know, or things might just get worse, right? And I actually find this view being more sober-minded, and, and I, I certainly agree with Sandlin's view, but I find this at least more sober and um, how they're dealing with some Old Testament texts and so on. But Yet there does seem to be a glorious earth, and not just a glorious heaven in this prophecy, It is an earth in which peace is found in nature too. It says the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the cow and the bear shall graze, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, verses 6 and 7. So it's like you ask, what do they do with that? All right. Furthermore, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, verse 9. And the nations shall inquire of the root of Jesse. There's another metaphor, same person. Are we supposed to understand these promises figuratively? I mean, I don't. I think the problem the amillennialists have is all of these these things talked about. This, there does seem to be this glorious age upon the earth that they really have nothing to do with. That they don't they don't believe it. So they have to make these things apparently like symbolic or in such a way that. Yeah, this is how it will be wonderful, but it is, it is more you know internally recognized by the church, who you know, Christians who are alive, or, or those who are blessed, and have no longer uh, issues of ferocity between animals, because they are with the Lord or or the eternal state, and and I can't tell you if they would believe the eternal state is then a um, a time uh, of a new heaven and, and new earth where that's when you'll see those things, but it's all basically over by then, right? Anyhow, as far as decision-making, human beings who are going to be held accountable for sin, that's all past. And, I, and the thing is, that the next passage, I think, is really going to like call them out a little bit more. How are those prophecies fulfilled according to the non-millennialist scheme? If, if one thinks this glorious and prosperous state of affairs doesn't occur in the earth, um, while well, there's sin on the earth. Another and maybe more difficult passage for the amillennial position is Isaiah 65. We will focus in on verses 20 through 25. There's a longer portion here, but, you know, this is Sunday school. Verse 20, no more shall there be... Now listen to the things that go on here. No more shall there be in it, in Jerusalem, it was the the last uh, named pronoun here, um, proper name. No longer shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and a sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Huh. So this is a glorious time again, and but yet you still got death taking place. How, how does that square? They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall they, the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. 
They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf, here's, now here's the same terminology in the other prophecy. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Lord, I don't know what I cut off there. <laughs> it says to say it the Lord. Um, so here we find the same peaceful language of the wolf and the lamb, verse 25, but we also find people building houses and planting gardens, verse 21. On top of that, we're told no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and a sinner a hundred years old shall be a curse. This is, suggests that people will live hundreds of years old again and, and still there will be death. I, I don't think if, if, we, if you're in the eternal state that you can have death introduced. Was that, is that supposed to be understood just metaphorical again? So if amillennialism is correct, and this is referring to some future eternal state, well then what is the talk about any kind of death? I mean, that, that doesn't exist anymore. But if it was something going on in the earth, you could say, well, there's a place for death yet. There's still sin in the earth, and, and the final return of Christ hasn't come yet, the resurrection hasn't taken place, which is when death is put aside, is at the resurrection, okay? So I, uh, I think that's a weakness of the amillennial position, one they've never had an answer for in my mind, and that's why I lean in, in a post-millennial direction, or I would say I kind of like some amillennial language, and, but I would be positive. I think things get increasingly better. If the amillennialist is correct, bottom paragraph, page 3, that these golden age prophecies do not apply to the earth, then where does house building, garden planting, death and curse fit into the church or those deceased saints now in heaven and to the eternal state? If the prosperity of these verses are only for a spiritual experience and a heavenly age, then how is it that men can still die and be considered accursed? Do you understand the question there? Or have I just run off into the woods and you guys are going, I hope he's, I hope he's okay in there. <laughs> so Sandlin, last page, condemns amillennialism's future-only understanding of these sorts of patch, passages, saying this. And I think this is a, a very good thought. He applies it elsewhere in this chapter. To bring up even the possibility of conflict, poverty, or injustice in eternity is impertinent. It just shows disrespect and obstinate uh, rebellion or, or childlike stubbornness. This must also be said of death and curse. If we think that somehow those things would get applied to the eternal state, where are our heads? What are we just trying to force an argument here of, of future thinking? It doesn't make sense. Um, but, Again, a greater uh, millennialist, greater thinkers than, than me and probably than Andrew Sandlin uh, have argued the non-millennial position very effectively. And um, so I guess I'd say they are, that is a sober alternative to, to what you typically hear preached here. Last paragraph, P. Andrew Sandlin disagrees with amillennialism. He believes amillennialists make a mistake of, of this, of relocating the kingdom of God from earth to heaven. 
All right? So they say, okay, it used to be kind of on earth. It was Jerusalem, the temple, the priests. That was like God's kingdom on earth. But now it's different. New Testament, it's heavenly. The kingdom is heavenly. And we would agree with that to a degree. Okay? And this is what Sandlin says. He believes amillennialists make a mistake by relocating the kingdom of God from earth to heaven. Sandlin and postmillennialists contend that the kingdom of God encompasses and engulfs all of heaven and all of earth. It is both spiritual and material. Again, see pages 30 and 31. And therefore, during a very, very, very long millennial reign by Jesus from the right hand of the Father, we begin to experience over time a peace and prosperity on earth as it is in heaven, just as the prophets foretold. So, yes, he would agree. Yeah, Jesus is in heaven. Things are very spiritual. He's taken control. He's dealing with people spiritually in the earth. But it's not only heaven. He also engulfs the earth in time by his rule and lordship. Which is not what amillennialism would think. Any questions or comments or concerns or yeah buts? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But what people die off. Oh, yeah. In the passage, there's still death. So if the resurrection has occurred, and Amillennialist's case is that these things all apply to that future eternal state, well, then how do you really gel that with the idea that if you, don't, you only live 100, consider yourself accursed. You know, I mean, it, was it just really on the fact that we all live forever? Was that what was being said by the prophet? I, it just doesn't seem like it would be. Yeah. Sin and death, and no sin. Or if sin's dealt with completely, so is death and the resurrection. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think when he comes back, it's over. I mean, he, he, the resurrection occurs, this, the final judgment occurs, there's a lake of fire that s- some will be dispatched to, and then there is eternal uh, existence with him. On earth, I believe, you know, or a perfected, refreshed earth, because, yeah, it makes you inherit the earth. Yeah, we will still be spiritual phys- physical creatures uh spiritual f- physical how our jesus body was changed our bodies will be changed to be like that but never to suffer death again or pain or or, or sorrow and and so on yeah justin influences of gnosticism Yeah, I, I, I kind of think it has to have had played a part. I think so. Yeah. I think you go way back until like the second, third century, they were dealing with issues. I, I, I don't know. I think probably every view at some point early started to develop their view of what the future looks like. I don't think that they're all legitimate by any means. It doesn't, but 
I think what Jesus and the apostles were trying to do in explaining what the prophets were talking about, there probably was a better recognition in, in that first century. And then, you know, people just kind of trended in d- different directions. And I think we have the three basic views with, with dispensational premillennialism being kind of out there further in, in a bells and whistles way that's been very recent development. But I think pre-mill- traditional premillennialism Postmillennialism and amillennialism probably have been swimming around. I can't, I'm not, don't quote me. I don't know. But I think they've been around for ages and ages. What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's probably different roots and influences. And, and to say three views, I mean, every, every, every little nuance could be considered maybe another little gadget view or something, but. I think the three basics are, are there. And then there's one that we'll deal with in the last chapter that's called full preterism that's um, taken a lot of heat, and deservedly so these days, um, and how they deal with some of these passages that are like probably a little bit unorthodox. They are unorthodox for sure, maybe a little heretical. All right. Any other thoughts or comments or questions? It'd be well worth your time if you haven't been reading this book, maybe even after the fact, read it. Write in it. Mark, mark it up. And then we can talk more questions and answers in a pew someday or whatever as we come and go. All right.